This episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is brought to you by the Self-Care for Teachers School Wellbeing Champions Meetup. If you're on the Wellbeing Committee or you are the Wellbeing Champion in your school and you're looking for resources to support your work, you want to support others doing the same thing and you want to share what's working and what's not working in your school, then come along to the Wellbeing Champions Meetup in mid-November. More information will be at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash wellbeing champion or click the link below in your podcast description. I would love to see you there. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. As this episode airs this week, it will be NAIDOC week in Australia. So I want to acknowledge the Gaibal people of the Toowoomba area who are the traditional owners of the land on which I am recording this today, where I live and work and where Self-Care for Teachers operates from. So I acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging and that sovereignty was never ceded. And I invite you uh, to take a moment where you are to acknowledge the First Nations people of the land on which you are standing right now too. In this week's episode, I'm sharing with you three reasons why your school needs to have a wellbeing champion role that is focused on teacher and staff wellbeing and resilience. And I'm really excited about this one. I'll get to the guts of the content in a minute, but first I want to share some updates. So November has been busy around these parts. I took some time off in October for a much-needed holiday, and so I've come back and hit the ground running and feeling very inspired and full of momentum and motivation for self-care for teachers. So there's lots lots happening, which is very exciting. I'm slowly working my way through updating the old blog posts and show notes on the new website and making sure that everything is up to date there. It's a very big job, so I expect that to continue for some time, especially the show notes piece. It's also, I mean, you know, it's been a big week in the world. It's been a big year in the world. 2020 has been a big year and um, this week in particular has been a big week with the US election and everything surrounding that. Uh, I've been kind of absent on social media. I don't know about you, but I find social media, I love it and I hate it. I find it really hard. I feel that it is a great way to connect with teachers. I love chatting with you in the DMs. I really am enjoying Instagram at the moment for that and playing, you know, just creatively playing with Instagram stories and reels and the other things that, you know, you can do there. I I do. I love that about it. And like I said, I I love the interaction and and connecting because like I love the podcast, but it's obviously a one way conversation. I do sometimes get emails and and feedback from you, but it's obviously a, a long way removed from when the episodes are recorded, um, as sometimes, as you know, from the couple of interviews this season, sometimes it's months. In in this case of this week, it's only going to be a few days between when I record this and when it goes to air, but it's still a one-way conversation. So, I, I do love the connection aspect of social media, but I do find it hard. I find I get caught up in comment sections and that really brings me down because, you know, the internet's a wonderful place and it's also a cesspool of the worst parts of humanity. So I've been taking a bit of a break and yeah, I'd love to hear if that's something that resonates with you. If you also find that kind of 
to and fro, I suppose, around social media and sometimes finding it really inspiring. And, you know, for example, looking at other teachers' classrooms on Instagram and what they're doing and finding that really inspiring, but at other times maybe finding that really also triggering and makes you feel not good enough because your classroom doesn't look like their classroom. I'd really love to hear if that's something that shows up for you. And I think I probably will touch on that as a topic on the podcast in the new year, but yeah, I would love to hear if that's something that resonates with you too. I've also been connecting this month with some of the information about Australia's education funding uh, that the AEU, the Australian Education Union, has been putting out in a webinar series about public education funding inequality in Australia, which I highly recommend. I'll, I'll pop a link in the show notes. And I've also been having some discovery calls with new coaching clients and catching up with my current coaching clients after I took that break in October. And I've been planning and prepping for the new year and new programs and new rounds of old programs or of, of things like the Resilient Teacher group coaching program, which I'm revamping and we'll be having another round of that in the new year. The further I get into this self-care for teachers journey, and the more I learn about business and setting things up online so people can access resources on demand when they need it, not necessarily when I'm available, the more I realize how unrealistic my expectations were for probably the first two or three years of running self-care for teachers. There's so much that I didn't know that I didn't know. And I now know that things just take time, especially things like websites and hosting online courses and all the tech involved in it. And, you know, that you've actually got to appreciate how much time that takes and set aside that time for it to be done well and done properly and <laughs> done so that it works. <laughs> it's like a 1,000 piece puzzle. And when you only see the finish, finished product of others, other people's puzzles, you're only seeing the picture. You don't necessarily realize how many pieces there are and how tricky some of them are to fit together or just how long it takes to find that one piece that fits in that one spot. So, you know, it's easy to compare yourself to other people's 1,000 piece puzzles, thinking that you're not good enough. Um, and by you, I mean me, thinking that I'm not good enough comparing myself to other people's 1,000 piece puzzles, you know, when you can only see the picture on the box. So, I have learned a lot with uh, my self-care for teachers journey and also, you know, I have another business now, my Perk Digital, which is my podcast production business, and that's taught me a lot as well. Anyway, and I just share that because, one, I'm human, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not not talking to you from this place where I have overcome all my challenges and I'm great and perfect and I never have any struggles with feeling not good enough anymore. I never have any challenges. Like, I'm human. And, you know, self-care for teachers is obviously not about business, but I know some of you are interested in my story. And I'm, you know, I definitely am not focused on encouraging teachers to leave the classroom to start a business or to try to have a side hustle or to sell you some snake oil that being in business for yourself is going to solve all your well-being challenges because I promise you it is not. <laughs> because honestly, I, I also don't believe that having a side hustle as a full-time teacher is sustainable. I don't actually think that's a good choice for your well-being. And yeah, I, I, you know, there's some good folk out there too, but I do see some shady practices in some of those worlds. And my mission with self-care for teachers has always been to keep good teachers in the classroom and for our schools and workplaces to be better supporting teachers so they don't feel that they need to leave or feel they need to have a side hustle to, you know, make ends meet or find some level of creativity. However, I do have people reach out to me semi-regularly to find out how I've done it and how they can do it too. And I always try and say, hey, you're only seeing the, the picture on the front of the box. You're not seeing all the puzzle pieces. And I have had a few conversations with people lately who who used to be teachers who have you know left years ago and or, or even recently but have gone and retrained in something else and are now 
coming back to the teacher wellbeing space from different angles with plans to be in business for themselves and who want some support and advice. And, you know, I just, I guess I want you to know that that is something that I offer. So if you're interested in that, happy to chat to you about that. Or if you have, if there's somebody you know in that situation, and, you know, I will tell the truth about my experiences and the mistakes I've made and what I've learned in business and, you know, I'll support and encourage you to make choices that are right for you. As with all my coaching, and I'm not going to try and sell you a program about how to start a business that is actually run by online marketers as opposed to people with a good grounding in business startup practices. So, you know, therefore it kind of sets people up for failure. Anyway, that has been on my mind because I have, like I said, had a few beautiful conversations along those lines lately. And I just wanted to let you know if that's where you're at, you can get in touch. In light of that, uh, <laughs> and in light of having my 1000 piece puzzle <laughs> going together a bit more smoothly these days, I am also getting ready for 2021 right now for the business things that are happening in 2021, getting that all set up right now. So the Resilient Teacher Program will be running again and it will be a kind of revamped version starting in January 2021. But there will also be some bonuses and some some exciting things going out to early birds that will only be available to those who subscribe to my newsletter, The Advocate. So if you would like to know about that, then you need to sign up via the link in the description if you haven't done that already. And there's also some other cool exclusive things coming to advocate subscribers in the next couple of months. So I highly recommend it. I'm also taking bookings for school wellbeing sessions. So for presentations in schools about school wellbeing. So if that's something your school needs, do get in touch. If you would like that, I would love to support your school in creating a culture of, you know, more wellbeing and resilience among the staff. And of course, I'm still coaching teachers one-on-one. So, you know, book in a discovery call if that's something you're interested in. And another thing that I'm kind of playing with at the moment I'm looking at is an asynchronous coaching option, which basically means instead of getting on the phone or on Zoom to talk in real time and to go, you know, in deep depth of what's going on for you and the goal setting and the well-being roadblocks and all of that, asynchronous coaching is a more, it's more like a back and forth priority messaging support service. It can be just via text, like, you know, email or a written message, but audio and video messages work really well as well. It's much less of an investment financially, but it's also a little bit more convenient for some people, especially if you have been wanting to work with me, but currently your schedule doesn't actually line up with my schedule. Like if you you just don't have space in your schedule in the times that I offer sessions within my office hours which I know is the case for some of you, especially if you've got little kids. I know that that, that can be tricky because it's switching hour often. So anyway, it allows you to record a message. Asynchronous coaching allows you to record a message when it suits you, which could be, you know, nine o'clock at night or 5.30 in the morning or, you know, whenever you find yourself with a pocket of time that you devote to your own self-care and well-being and reflection. And then I can reply in my office hours. So it's quite convenient in that way. Although obviously it is limited compared with one-on-one sessions where we can dive deeper and explore things and it, you know, be kind of face-to-face in real time. But it's something, like I said, I'm experimenting with this at the moment. So, there are limited spots available, but get in touch if that's something you'd like to try. And of course, the other thing coming up right now is the Wellbeing Champions Meetup, which is happening in just a couple of weeks' time, actually next week as of this uh, episode being released. So, on the 18th, Wednesday the 18th and Saturday the 21st of November. There's a Wednesday evening call or Wednesday afternoon call and a a Saturday morning call. And it is basically for anyone who feels like they are the well-being person at their school or who cares a lot about staff well-being at work. So if you're listening to this podcast, that's probably you. 
and you are invited to this virtual networking event to connect with others like you from around Australia. And you can go to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash wellbeing champion for more information about that. And if you're listening to this after November 2020, go to that link anyway, because there will be more of those events and other cool things there. All right. So on to today's episode, the three reasons why we need wellbeing champion roles in every school. Now, right now, I acknowledge that this is aspirational. (laughs) We don't currently have an official role of wellbeing champion or wellbeing coordinator or head of wellbeing in most schools that I know of. They do exist here and there, and the main places that I've heard of them in Australia seem to be in private schools, which, you know, kind of gets back to that public school funding inequality point, but they do exist occasionally. However, they are few and far between when they do exist, or they maybe exist in like a regional role which is often quite distant from the people who work day-to-day in the school um, and maybe maybe is more of an administrative role as opposed to a on-site practical support type of a role. And then what I have also noticed happens in those roles is that they might only have got funding for 6 or 12 or 18 months, so just when they start to find their feet and be making some changes or implementing initiatives and then, you know, maybe getting the feedback from the first round and starting to do it again and improve and actually, you know, have that ongoing implementation, then the funding stops and then that's the end, which is such a shame. So, this episode is really more about my vision of what these roles could be in schools rather than, you know, what we currently have. I would love for it to be something to spark your imagination and hopefully spark some conversation in your staff room. As always, I acknowledge that everything related to education, including teacher and staff wellbeing, is a wicked problem, very complex. And as the saying goes, for every complex problem, there is a solution that is simple, neat and wrong. That is a quote, I think, by H. Mencken, who was a bit of a problematic fellow by today's standards. But anyway, I think the sentiment rings true. There are too many complexities in the matter of teacher wellbeing for there to be any simple, easy solutions. So anyone that's selling you simple, easy solutions, be wary. It's a complex, wicked problem. So I acknowledge that this episode, you know, and this idea of having wellbeing champions in schools, it's not a complete or even even necessarily a likely solution. However, the vision that I have for wellbeing champions in schools is that ultimately it would be a paid role, perhaps shared between a number of schools in a small cluster where there is still a lot of contact and connection with staff weekly. But, you know, I wouldn't want it to be always be a regional role that is very far removed. I think those roles have a place and I, I'm not going to knock them if that's all we get, right? But I think, you know, in the ideal, it should be somebody on site who is actually a part of the staff themselves. I'd also love to see this role have some long-term funding because there are no quick fixes, as we know, when it comes to education and also when it comes to health and well-being. And also because staff wellbeing is as much related to relationships as anything, so it does require that longevity and that ability for trust to be built up over time and, you know, the results of the initiatives to have some ongoing results but also the emotional investment from staff to start paying off. You know, so we do need that longevity and that requires funding. I would also strongly recommend that this role not be bundled together with student well-being or anything to do with student behavior. I mean, obviously those things are important, 
And there are some crossovers between student well-being and teacher well-being. We absolutely know that. But I think they are significantly different. And I think that the the actual problems are significantly different and also the solutions are significantly different. They're really different things. As well as being related, they're actually really different things. So I do think we need the roles to be separate. And I, you know, I believe the need for well-being and welfare support for students is also increasing. Like we are seeing increasing levels of depression and anxiety and other mental health challenges for students. So those demands are only going to increase. And I would fear that that would also eclipse any of the staff-related work because the student work is likely to be more urgent, you know. So for that reason alone, I'd like to see the roles separated. I'd like to see there be, you know, student well-being support being a totally separate thing than the staff well-being support. And also because sometimes the challenges that staff are having with their well-being are actually directly linked with the challenges those staff are having with the students in their class or the well-being challenges that those students in the class are having, you know, trauma backgrounds and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's not really good to have a situation where those two things may end up being in opposition with each other or not even opposition, but where any of the adults involved have conflicting priorities because they're involved on both sides of that equation, I suppose. So, yeah, it should be the idea of having a staff wellbeing champion in a school. It should be a role solely dedicated to the support of the adults who work within the school and of, you know, the general workplace or organisational wellbeing of the school, as opposed to being anything kind of directly related with student wellbeing. Obviously, it is linked, but I strongly believe they need to be separate. You know, and similar to that idea of having potentially conflicting priorities, I also think it needs to be a role separate from any curriculum or administrative stuff, and also separate from HR and industrial relations and union related stuff. Like I said, this is my vision. (laughs) I realise that it is extremely aspirational at the moment. This would require significant investment of time and money and human resources and things which are already currently pretty scarce in most schools for the jobs that already exist. So where do we begin? Well, as many schools have already done, we can begin with a wellbeing committee or a club. Loathe as I am to add more meetings to your schedule or more work to your plate, At the moment, it does seem the best we can do is having some form of volunteer role. It could be one wellbeing champion in your school or it could be a group, you know, like in the case of the club or committee. Either way, if you haven't got one yet, that's your first port of call. If you are passionate about this, please don't wait for somebody else to start it. Obviously, you need to prioritize your own health and wellbeing first, but if you feel like you're in an okay spot and you're not kind of in wellbeing crisis, please consider speaking to your principal or school leadership team and suggesting having a wellbeing champion in your school and putting your hand up for that. Grab a couple of your interested colleagues and start there. So that brings me to the reasons that we need to have wellbeing champions as official roles in school. And like I said, obviously, ideally, this would be a paid role. But at the moment, I think the best we're going to get in terms of an official wellbeing champion role will be a volunteer role. So just keep that in mind with what I'm saying. So Reason number one, it needs to be a defined official role because having a container supports clarity and consistency and continuity for everyone. So once you've got approval from your admin or school leadership team to have some kind of wellbeing club or wellbeing champion happening at your school and you've gathered your colleagues, it is very, very, very important to set some expectations and get a draft role description on paper. You want to get that container really clearly outlined. And you need to do this firstly because it shows that you're taking it seriously, but also because it makes it clear 
what is and isn't within your role. As I said, you already have enough on your plate. And what can happen is that because the entire idea of well-being is so huge and complex, this role can quickly balloon into encompassing every conceivable related task or topic that has anything to do with well-being. And that's obviously not what we want. We want it to stay focused, like I said, and we also need it to be sustainable for you. So, as I said, this role should not include student well-being. Those roles actually probably already exist in your school in some way, shape or form. There's probably already some processes in place. So, we, we don't want to double up that. And we also want to ensure that the well-being committee, if there's a group of you or the well-being champion, if it's only you, doesn't become the dumping ground for every tricky staff-related thing that happens in the school or everything that admin or leadership doesn't know how to or doesn't want to deal with. You are not HR, so you can't deal with staffing and, and you shouldn't really be dealing with interpersonal conflicts. And you're also not counsellors, so while you may already be the person that lends the you know, helpful, patient listening ear to the colleagues having a rough time, that is also not the role and responsibility of the wellbeing champion in the volunteer role. Maybe one day in an ideal world when we have official, paid, fully funded wellbeing champions in schools, maybe part of their day will actually be coaching or counselling teachers in a tough spot. But right now, as a volunteer role, as a general member of staff who is not a trained coach or counsellor, that is not your job, right? So I want to make that very, very, very clear. So there needs to be some boundaries for you and there definitely needs to be some clarity around the expectations and the responsibilities there. It's also, by the way, not the same as having a social club. So this is not a committee that is set up to run a morning tea once per term. Things that your role description as the wellbeing champion or as the wellbeing committee, things that might be included on that role description would be, for example, sharing resources around well-being and resilience for staff. You might do that as an email or you might do that as a little notice board on the staff room wall or you might do that for five minutes at the beginning of every few staff meetings. Sharing some resources would be a really simple way to get started because chances are you're already connecting with some of those resources anyway, like you're already listening to this podcast, which is a resource by the way. You're probably already, if you're passionate about well-being, you're already connecting with some of those resources anyway. So First step would just be sharing those with your colleagues. It might also include organising activities or running a session on a student-free day or in staff meetings for all of staff or maybe organising some school-wide initiatives that are related to staff wellbeing. Just a few ideas here. This is not all-encompassing, but maybe that might be like a 10,000 steps challenge or setting up a buddy system for debriefing on tough days or meditation Monday or exploring and understanding each other's strengths and empowering each other to use them. And like everything, you know, related to education and well-being, it also needs to be tailored to your situation. So it would be a very good idea to find out what your staff want and need. You know, maybe you could do a survey or something because, you know, you might be in a regional or rural school and a lot of staff are a long way geographically from their family and primary support networks and that they might find that challenging. That may not be an issue that happens for people in metro areas because maybe Everybody is geographically much closer to their connections. Or, you know, maybe your school has a high proportion of students with trauma backgrounds and so teachers are working with those students and, and having some challenges for their own well-being around, around working with that trauma. So, you know, arranging for some extra training or support for the adults working with the traumatised kids, that could be appropriate, for example, which may not apply at all in a different school situation with a different kind of cohort. 
So these are just a few ideas. There's no one size fits all and there's no immediate answer. This is something that will continue to evolve over time. But just start with getting a role description organized, a draft, and setting some expectations with admin and with other staff about what is and isn't your responsibility as the wellbeing champion, as the wellbeing committee. And make it achievable too. Don't overpromise because remember, you still have a full-time job to do. So let's take the long view and take some small steps consistently that we can build on over time. So reason number one that your school needs a defined official wellbeing champion role is that it creates that container for that role and it allows for clarity and consistency and continuity for everybody. Are you a principal or deputy principal looking for an engaging and affordable session on teacher and school staff wellbeing for your next student free day or twilight session? Perhaps you're on the wellbeing committee or you are the wellbeing champion in your school and you're looking for resources to support your proposal to your leadership team for the staff wellbeing session that you have been tasked with organising. And perhaps you're in a regional, rural or remote school and the option of having an in-person consultant travel to you to deliver a session with your staff is just cost prohibitive, not to mention a little bit risky at the moment with the possibility of lockdowns and border closures cancelling it all last minute. Well, I have a solution for you. I have put together an online training designed for your staff to do together on a pupil-free day or in a twilight session or even in an after-school staff meeting. In-person presentations are available in Queensland. However, the online training is available Australia-wide with a tiered pricing model so that small schools and state schools can access the training equitably. I can't wait to bring this training to your staff so together we can transform the well-being of Australia's teachers and school staff one school at a time. I'm taking bookings now for the 2021 January Student Free Days, so get in touch via hello at selfcareforteachers.com.au today. So reason two that it needs to be a defined role is to ensure continuity because otherwise it can fall apart when that main passionate person leaves or decides to focus elsewhere. Now, this is a sadly common occurrence with any kind of volunteer role in the community, you know, in in community organisations and things like that. If we take a community project, for example, maybe it was one person's idea and they are passionate and dedicated and also very good at gathering like-minded people around the project and, you know, petitioning council for some funding or getting some sponsors from the local business community or whatever it is and making it happen and getting it all set up and getting it going and everything goes great for a while The ball is rolling, things are happening, progress is being made on this project. But then for whatever reason, maybe it's a job transfer or family reasons or or whatever, that main driving force person leaves town and they leave behind them a real vacuum in that community project and then the project slows and then stalls and eventually stops altogether. In contrast, what you see happen in successful and sustainable community organisations is that even though there may be a bit of a dip for a while after a significant leader or person leaves, there are frameworks set up so that things do continue and others are available and willing to step into the role to keep things going long term. So I'm thinking about organisations like maybe your local sporting group or your local, you know, Lions Club or Rotary or, or, or things like that where it's not actually around that one person driving it. There may be a person who is, you know, a lifelong member of that sporting club and is just absolutely the kind of heart and soul of the club. But if they move town, the club doesn't disintegrate. Like there's more than, more than just that one person keeping it going. So 
It's wonderful if you are the driving force in your school when it comes to well-being. That is great and I really want to encourage you. And especially if you are happy to devote yourself to the role of well-being champion for a good long while and you have no plans to leave your school anytime soon. That's good because we want it to be something that really can get going properly and have a good chance to get get set up properly before, you know, maybe those changes happen. However, it is still helpful and important to set things up in such a way that others could step into the role if you are not there anymore, but also so that it's not all resting on your shoulders because that's unsustainable too. And one of the things that I often talk about when it comes to teacher well-being is feeling like we have to do everything ourselves and never asking for help. Well, this is definitely something that if there are others who are interested in in the school, it can be a shared role, you know, it can be a group thing, a committee. So the goal here is for staff well-being to stay on the to-do list of the school consistently and over the long term. So that means that we want the role to be bigger than you as such, even if you're the driving force, even if you are the the one that gets it started, we don't want it to fall apart if you don't happen to be there anymore. So that's reason number two to have a defined official role of a wellbeing champion is to ensure the continuity of the role long term because, yeah, otherwise it can all fall apart when that one person leaves. And finally, reason number three that it needs to be a defined official role is because it needs to be recognised as important and valuable by staff, by admin, by parents, by community and by, you know, politicians and the media. Now, as we all know, not everybody takes staff wellbeing seriously or not everybody has a heart for it. Not everybody's focused there because not everybody has had struggles in that area and some people are just, for whatever reason, it's not their focus. You may already have had struggles and frustrations when raising this topic with colleagues who maybe don't think it needs focus or raising the topic with admin or with parents of students in your school or in the wider community. And, I mean, we all know that politicians and and the media landscape, it's a bit hit and miss when it comes to valuing teachers and the role that they do, let alone teachers having personal lives and, you know, some kind of balance. So initially, there's no point worrying about what the politicians or the media say. And equally, don't focus on what the parents or the wider community in your area think or say either. They are removed enough that we just don't need to focus there right now. The people you need to win over first and foremost are obviously the admin or leadership team at your school. And then you also need buy-in from most, if not all, of the staff. You may not get every single person on board, but you do need buy-in from the staff. Otherwise, it's not going to work, which is the other reason to take this as a step-by-step, you know, gradual process over time because it does take time and it's not necessarily easy And, you know, that concept of getting buy-in from staff is too big of a topic for this episode, but just know that having clear role description and responsibilities, as well as clear expectations of the role and responsibility of other people in the school when it comes to wellbeing, that really helps in this process because, again, it ensures that the role doesn't become the dumping ground for any task that doesn't seem to fit anywhere else but that bothers teachers, so therefore it gets dumped on the wellbeing champion and on the committee. Plus, over time, by treating the role of well-being champion and by treating the well-being committee as an important professional task, it will demonstrate to others the value and over time it will be recognised as important by others too. So you need to get recognised, I suppose, by at least admin and staff as being an important part and an important role in the school 
and that will take time. Again, this concept of having a well-being champion won't automatically solve all those other challenges. This is not a quick fix. It is not a simple, neat solution to a complex problem. However, formalizing the role and demonstrating that you and the committee are taking it seriously and treating it with professionalism that will go some way in having it be valued by others and treated with the respect and importance that it deserves. So, a quick recap. The three reasons to have a defined role of a wellbeing champion in your school are number one, because having that container supports clarity and consistency and continuity for everybody. So, you want to get that role you know, defined and official because it, it helps that clarity and consistency and continuity piece for everyone. Number two is because otherwise it can all fall apart when the main passionate person leaves and that's not what we want. We want to ensure continuity of staff wellbeing support options for the long term. And number three is because it needs to be recognised as important and valuable by others, which comes from treating it with some strategic professionalism from the start. Like I always say, there are no quick fixes, but you don't need quick fixes anyway because you are not broken. Your school is not broken, so it doesn't need quick fixes. It is entirely possible, however, that the situation in your school is very fraught right now. It's been a massive year, like I said, and in most cases, there were challenges, a lot of challenges, a lot of complex, wicked problems going on before 2020 arrived. So 2020 has just amplified and escalated a lot of that. So. If that's the case, maybe even setting up a wellbeing committee right now might be a bit of a stretch in your school. So perhaps you can just start by sowing seeds, sowing some ideas in your staff room and sharing some resources occasionally that will support your colleagues. If you feel like that that idea of having a an official wellbeing champion role is just a step too far right now, take it back even less. Just start with sharing some resources with your colleagues and sowing the seeds, sowing those ideas that will gradually, you know, germinate and and grow into something more in the future. Like I said earlier, you are already probably tuned into a lot of resources that would be helpful to your colleagues. And the first one would be the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. So you could start by sharing it with sharing this episode specifically with a teacher friend you know. You can hit the three dots in your podcast app. And usually that means you can share it in different ways. It might be via text, it might be via you know, Facebook or Instagram. I know if you're on Spotify and you share the three dots, you can share it straight to your Instagram stories. I think that the Overcast app does that as well. And, and I think you can even share like a little clip, which is pretty cool. And if you share it to Instagram stories, tag me and I would to go and reshare it and comment on your feed. Make sure that you tag me at self-care for teachers so that we can connect over it. That would be great. And also the other thing I want to say is Make sure that you're, if you're sharing this episode with a friend or with anybody, make sure that they actually know how to listen to a podcast. Actually get their phone from them and, you know, download the podcast app or if they already use Spotify or something like that, like show them how to open the app and search for podcasts, search for this one, hit subscribe, load up a few episodes of the Teacher Wellbeing podcast for them. Because it's so common now, they think it might be nice, but they've never done it and they're sort of too shy to ask because they don't want to be kind of singled out as someone who doesn't know how to do what they think they should already know how to do. So do your friend a favor, show them how easy it is for them to listen to a podcast, download a few episodes onto their phone for them because it is something that 
we don't always think of if we're really comfortable with the technology, but not everybody actually knows how to listen to podcasts. So make sure you help your friends with that. Okay, so my hope is that this episode has given you some ideas on where you can start and, of course, whether or not there is a formal wellbeing committee or wellbeing champion role in your school. A reminder, you are very, very welcome to come to the Wellbeing Champions Networking Meetup next week. Come along and connect with other like-minded teachers. It's always far more fun when you are there too. Go to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash wellbeing champion. Love to see you there. And as always, everyone, remember that you're a person first and a teacher second, and you are worthy of your own care. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.